Good morning. Oh man, come on guys. It is, it's Pentecost Sunday. Y'all know what Pentecost Sunday is? Good morning, Grace Life. Okay, I see some people who didn't even open their mouths. We're going to try it one more time for them. If not, I'm going to call them out. Y'all ready? Good morning, Grace Life. Oh, that's much better. My name is Byron Cogdell, of course. Uh, Thank you, Tommy, for um, introducing me, and thank you for just loving me well and um, showing me so much hospitality this morning and throughout the week and all of our time together. Uh, Before we dive deep into the scriptures, I just want to give you uh, an opportunity to hear about this church that we're planting. Um, You know, most church planters don't pass up an opportunity to talk about the church that they're planting. This is us. We're cute. We know. We'll pass that slide real fast. But this, this is a picture of Daytona Beach, um, and this is our logo, Identity Church, and this is the church that we're looking to plant in Daytona Beach. A lot of people ask us, hey, there are a lot of churches in Daytona Beach. We're like, yes, there are also a lot of unsaved people in Daytona Beach, and that's one of the reasons why we want to plant another church. The second question that a lot of people ask me when I talk about church planting is, where is Midtown? Where in the heck is Midtown Daytona Beach? Well, uh, if we're looking at this map, this little brown area is what we call Midtown. And that is one of the most historic areas in Daytona Beach. Uh, So once uh, the founder of Daytona Beach came in the late 1880s, they did set up in that downtown area. But as time went on, they went further and further inland. And that Midtown area is where a lot of people settled, a lot of families settled, and that's where a community is really, really rich. And there are a lot of churches, yet, yet in that area, 58% of the people do not know Jesus and are not connected to a church. So that is the area that we're planting in. So if you ever see this Daytona Beach map, you can say, hey, this is where Identity Church will be. Uh, One thing I do want to say before we get into the sermon is connect with us. Get on our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram. We push out a lot of news on that. We know that all of you all in here are saved and sanctified and love Jesus Christ. And you want to see more people come to know and love Jesus. We not only want to be connected with you, but we want uh, uh, you to connect with us the best way you can. Um, And the the thing that we like about or we we kind of take pride about in um, our desire to to plant this church is this. We want to do three things well. Like, that's it. Like, we just want to do three things well. The first one, believing in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, as we know, is the message that can actually change people, right? Like, it's, it's not just us going out and telling people about Jesus and forcing them to say a prayer, but the gospel is a message that literally transforms people. The, the scripture says the, the gospel is the power of God, right? Romans 1.16. So we not only want to believe the gospel for our salvation, but we want to believe the gospel every single day of our lives because we always need that reminder that we cannot save ourselves like we sung about earlier. There are none of us that can save our own souls, Every day we need the the reminder of how frail we are as people and how we need to depend on Jesus Christ, whether it's just us going to work and dealing with whatever situations we have there or us being in our homes or us dealing with the hardness of life. The gospel is what fuels us to be able to live well. We want to believe the gospel. The second thing that we want to do is after believing the gospel and knowing that the gospel is the thing that connects us to Jesus Christ, 
we want to connect other people to Jesus Christ. So we said we want to connect the city. We want to live in the city, our church being in the city, but we don't just want to connect the city limits. We want to connect the people in the city. We know that there are people in the city. So we want to use that gospel message to connect people to the Jesus Christ that has changed us. But it doesn't stop there. We also want that to flourish in other areas of life. So we want the gospel and our living to be a way to connect other people to not only our church, but the grander church, the bigger church, and use our places of influence to continually connect people to God. And the last thing that we say we want to do well is live sent. Live sent. And people ask me, what does that mean? Like, is that even correct English? It's like, I don't know. It may not be. But what it is, is we want to live with our bags packed. We want to live always with our bags packed. We want to be in a position where we know that if God calls us to go out anywhere, whether it's 5,000 miles or five miles up the road, that we are ready for it. Why? Because God called us to something. And one of the things he's called us to, with us being connected to Christ through our belief in the gospel and belief in what Jesus Christ did, he connected us to mission. He connected us to mission. And that's one of the reasons why this sermon today is called Reconciled for Mission, because we believe that we are reconciled for mission. Now, when I say reconciled for mission, a lot of us, we, we can kind of think, oh, okay, like, yeah, like the guy who like packs up his family and moves to like Saudi Arabia and like roughs it out, like sharing the gospel with people. And like, you know, he has, he has to do all of these things. He comes back every four years or so just to kind of rest and then goes back over there so he can share the gospel. But the truth of the matter is every single one of us, if we know and love Jesus Christ, we are all called as missionaries. Every single one of us is called to be on mission. And this entire message will be about that. And if you don't believe that first statement that every single one of us is called to be on mission, I would ask you to start in Matthew of your Bible and, and, and just turn every page, reading every single page all the way to Revelation, and you will see something happening. You'll see people coming to know and love Jesus and God using other messed up regular people to help in that process. You will see God empowering people, just like we talk about Pentecost Sunday, empowering people to go out and share him with them so that they can be connected. All of you are on mission. But it's not just us being on mission. It's the fact that we are reconciled for mission. And we're reconciled for mission through our faith. Matter of fact, when I talked about those three things, the first thing was connected to the gospel and the, or believing the gospel. The only way to do that is what? Faith. That salvation comes by what? Faith alone. And if we are reconciled, it's our faith that led us there. And I would say to you, if there had to be some type of thesis statement for this morning, it would be this. That faith in a reconciling God... Faith in a reconciling God induces our calling, our working, and our endurance for mission. Faith in a reconciling God induces our calling, our going, or our working, and our endurance 
for mission. And that leads to my first point, that by faith, we become reconciled, or by faith, we become called to reconciliation. If you know anything about the Bible, um, or even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, uh, you, can, you can kind of feel that 2 Corinthians is a rough passage to pick when preaching about mission. Like, there, there are other books in the Bible that we can ask, or, or some other places in the New Testament that we can, we can sit down and see exactly what the Apostle Paul has to say about sharing the gospel, sharing your life, loving people, loving the government, loving the people around you in your city. Second Corinthians ain't really it. Like to break it down, like just to be serious, it's not one of those books in the Bible where you're like, okay, I can check this off. Oh, okay, I can do this. No, Second Corinthians is Paul actually sharing his experience with the people he's writing to. A lot of what we see in Second Corinthians is Paul going through his understanding of what God is doing in him first. And it's only through sharing that to the Corinthian church and us getting it hundreds of years later can we process it in a way that actually shows us what we could do as well. And one of the things that Paul is trying to show is that faith reconciles us to God. I mean, if we look at the text five times in three verses, Paul uses the terms reconciled, reconciling or reconciliation. He uses this this word over and over and over to talk about what God did for us, not what we could do with God, but what God did for us. In verse 18, he says, all of this is from God, talking about the things that God had done, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. When he uses this word reconciliation, he uses this Greek term katalage. Now, I I won't go too deep into what that means, but I will say this. I'm not talking about Facebook beef here. Like, this is not like you got into it with somebody online. Like, this is is not like you argue with somebody about who is going to bring the potato salad to the family cookout. Like, this is a a word used to describe two people who hate each other. Like, this word is used to describe people who want to kill each other. The word katalaje, what it it means is taking someone from a state of a relationship where there's complete enmity and putting them in a state of relationship where they are friends. Like, I'm not talking about we're cordial. I'm not just saying, like, they they stay in their space and I come to my space. No, this word means you take complete enemies and make them friends. And even thinking about that, we should rejoice Because we were enemies of God. And now we can be friends of God. Paul's first point to them is that if you're looking for an example of reconciliation, I'm it. I was an enemy of God. And now, through his power, I can be his friend. But it's a little bit more complex than that in this. By definition, the word reconciliation means an agreement that happens between two parties. So not only do you go, between, go from enmity to friendship, but it's a two-party deal. Like, it can't, just be, it can't just be me saying, you know what, I don't have no problem with you no more. You can continue to stay in your hate if you want to. It's not that. It's a two-party deal, which gets a little bit more confusing because salvation is by faith alone. And we know that even that it's by God's grace, Ephesians 2. 
So we're looking at Christ's work plus our faith that isn't even really our faith. It's faith that's given to us by God. God is so powerful that he reconciles us to himself without us even having, having to sit down at the table and talk through it. Praise God. Reconciliation is so beautiful because God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to wait for you to make the decision. I'm going to make our relationship right myself. Faith reconciles us to God. Romans 5 says it like this. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of the son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our faith in Christ's work justifies us, but it doesn't just justify us, which saves us. It also gives us the ability to be reconciled to God. By faith, we are called to reconciliation. And this is what Paul is trying to prove. This is what he's saying to the people in in Corinth. That not only have I been reconciled, but now that I've been reconciled, I've been called to this ministry of reconciliation. Paul is saying, I am a reconciled reconciler. That the reason I stand in front of you is because I've seen what God can do. Actually, the reason that he's even writing this letter is because he's seen what God can do. There would be no mission to the people of Corinth unless he knew that God could make reconciliation happen. Him writing this letter or the three letters that came before, him traveling to Corinth, the people who went with him, all of that is because he knows that God truly reconciles. He makes us reconciled reconcilers. If I had to put this in in a a Byron standard version of, of translation, I would say, by grace, through faith, I am reconciled, and by grace, I'm giving the opportunity to be a minister of reconciliation. If we look at verse 19 of our our key text, Paul says this, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. When Paul emphasizes this, he emphasizes that this is a true ministry of God. This is God's doing. This is his ministry that he's gifting us with. And it's no surprise if we turn back again, if we start in Matthew and go all the way through. It's no surprise that he would do this. Matthew 24 and 14, where where there's a call that says the message will go to all nations and go throughout the world. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission. It says that the message would go throughout the world and God would use us to do it. Acts 1, 8 and 9, right before we get to Pentecost, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be empowered and you will do what? Go out into the world preaching this message. Romans 10, 13 through 14. The same thing. Paul asked the question, well, who will go and preach the message so that people can hear? This is God's framework for how people will be reconciled to God. 
by using us to be reconciled reconcilers. By faith, we are called to this ministry of reconciliation. And that leads to a second point, talking about faith, we also have to talk about works. And the second point of this is the work of missions is done by faith. Look at verse 20 in our key text. Verse 20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. He uses this, this term ambassador. I like this term. It sounds so regal. It sounds important because it is. I don't know if I like it because it just has a lot of letters and it just sounds like I'm like supposed to, you know, be elegant when I say it. But the truth of the matter is this word ambassador is so important because an ambassador at its core is a couple things. Ambassador is a messenger. An ambassador is an interpreter. An ambassador is, is one person that will take something from, from their, their, their native land and move it to a foreign land so that there could be peace between two lands. But if we, we go even deeper in this term ambassador, an ambassador would be a governmental position. It's an important person. You're high up. Ambassadors are never voted on. They're always selected. Ambassadors are immune to certain things that come towards them, certain problems. They're immune for that. Why? Because they're connected to a government that protects them. An ambassador is a high-ranking official. But even with all of that importance, even with as big as an ambassador is, Ambassador essentially has no rights of his own because the ambassador is sent by someone else. They live their entire life or their entire term representing someone else. They don't have their own personal mission unless it's reflective of the mission of the person who sent them. Paul's saying, I'm an ambassador of Christ. So when he's saying that, he is saying this, I have no message of my own. I've been sent by the king. The, the only reason I am here is because I have the message, the ministry of the king. And that should, be, that should, that should make us feel really good. Because as we are going out to do our, the mission of life, whether it be in a boardroom or a classroom or our living room, whether it be in a faraway country or be right here in our backyard, we can walk into any place and say, I am an ambassador of Christ. And you know what that means? It's, it means this. I'm not here in my own regard, but I've been sent by one greater than me. I've been sent by the king. I'm here to represent a kingdom. We are ambassadors of Christ. Paul is saying this. What he's saying I don't have fear of what could happen because I've been sent. We have to understand our sentness that by us being called to reconciliation, that God has already equipped us for this battle. He's equipped us for this work. I know y'all talked about um, the, the armor of God recently. What? Why you got the armor on? 
if you don't want to be engaged in the work or the mission of God. As God is sending us, we don't have to go in fear. We don't have to go sitting here thinking, how am I going to do this on my own? How can I disciple these guys? How How can I plant this church? How can I rear my kids up well loving God? Well, you can do that because Christ has sent you. Christ has sent you to do that work. That you're not just in your home, but Christ sent you to your home. That you're not just at your job, that Christ sent you to your job. That you're not just in your neighborhood because that's a nice place to stay, but Christ sent you there. So as you're there, you're there as an ambassador for Christ, working hard for his mission. Mission is work. It is. But through us reflecting on the fact that someone sent us, we have to reflect on the fact that someone connected us, and that's Christ. So even in the depths of our work is our faith. That the work of mission relies on faith because at the core of our faith is God. And at the core of our work is faith in God. Faith not only calls us to mission and fuels our work of mission. But the last point, it sustains us in mission. Point number three, withstanding the suffering of our sentness comes by faith. Withstanding the suffering of our sentness comes by faith. And I did make up a word. Sentness is not a real word. But I feel like it's appropriate because it describes us being sent out into the world. Usually when we use the word mission, we think one or two things. You like tactical, like it's mission impossible or like black ops or whatever that that is. Or it's like something like, oh, yeah, like we're going and taking Bibles to someone, you know, halfway across the world. So I say sentness to kind of describe how we are supposed to interact with people, us being sent out into the world. But you know what's funny about mission and sentness is that I've seen so many people in so many churches invite a missionary on stage have him talk about all the things that he plans on doing or all the successes that he's had by God's grace. Pray over him. Give to him. But not very often do we talk about the suffering of his sentence. Not, not very often do we acknowledge the fact that, that this person or this family will miss birthdays of loved ones. They'll miss funerals, graduations. Their hearts will long for their friends that they will miss out on opportunities. What I'm trying to say is, just like life, mission is not devoid of suffering. Like, we can get all hype about mission, and we can get all hype about planting churches and preaching the gospel and making disciples, and we can forget about the suffering that will come with it. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I just want us to keep it at the forefront of our minds that suffering does come with mission. And how does this tie into the text? Well, I'll tell you. If we were to zoom out from 2 Corinthians 5 and we read through the entire book of 2 Corinthians, you will read the words of a man who has suffered. Paul is hurting when he's writing these words. He suffered deeply. And a lot of his suffering came from the church who he's writing to about reconciliation. The people who he is trying to love and serve. 
have been the root of a lot of his suffering. Paul is the perfect example that mission is not devoid of suffering. And I believe that mission is not devoid of suffering because reconciliation is a tiring cause. Have you ever have you ever seen somebody try to break up a fight? And then you when everything fizzles down, you see that person and they look just as exhausted as the persons who were trying to fight. Because it takes a lot more to try to break these two up. It takes a lot more to, to try to create peace. My dad was a high school. He, he worked in my high school and he always told me I will never try to break a fight up. I'll just let him fight. And then I'll talk to him afterwards because you're not going to overwork me. That's a wrong example. Because reconciliation, if we truly want to be reconciled reconcilers, we will be tired. Byron, prove that. I will. If we were to look at chapter 11 of this same book in the Bible, Paul says these words. He says, I've worked harder than most most people. I've been in prison more than most people. And with that, countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hand of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure and Apart from other things, there's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. We should read that next time we do a mission series. That Paul, Paul saying, man, this is not like me getting to celebrate the fact that I've given my life to this work. This is real. I've lost friends. I've lost meals. I've been beaten. The scriptures say that if any person says that they want to be a part of the ministry of Jesus Christ, that they would be persecuted. And that persecution may look different in our day, but we will suffer because we want to see reconciliation happen. We want to see parties that have been torn apart be put back together. And whether we're talking about spiritual reconciliation or racial reconciliation or political reconciliation or reconciliation in our government, whatever it may be, it will not be devoid of suffering. There's there's a um, podcast I listen to sometimes. And in a particular episode with Isaac Adams and Trillia Newbell, they talk about this when they they refer to reconciliation. They say this. The reality for anyone building a bridge is that bridges get stepped on. They get driven over from both sides. They're the first to freeze over when bad weather hits. Often, when you're a bridge builder, there's a huge temptation to become cynical because you are being wounded the most. If we go out from this place, this auditorium, today, and live every single hour, every single minute, every single day of our lives to be reconciled reconcilers, to truly see people come to know and love Jesus Christ, we will suffer. The people will step on us. But just like Paul shows us, God sustains us through that suffering. 
that although we may experience pain, we can depend on God to keep us afloat in that pain. Second Corinthians, same book of the Bible, same book of the Bible where Paul talks about all his suffering. Second Corinthians 4, 7 through 15, Paul says this. But we have this treasure in clay jars. So that it may be, it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given to up to the death of Jesus or for Jesus's sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as as we have the same spirit of faith in accordance with the scripture, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you in his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake so that grace as it extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In the midst of Paul's suffering, as he's talking to these people who he's had a rough relationship with, he's saying that with every blow, with every hungry stomach, with everything that hurts in me, I still get to hold tight to the Lord. That if God called me here, if God allows me to work here, that God will also sustain me here. This is beautiful because in so many instances, we get to this place where we start a good work and then we endure suffering. We ask God, why? Why would you send me to these people if I was going to have to feel this way? Why would you tell me to plant this church if no one was going to come? Why would you send me to that part of town if I was going to get robbed? Why would you let me sit down with this person for nine months, going through the scriptures, teaching them how to be a disciple, and then they go off and live like a hellion? Why would you allow me to bring people into our home that we thought we trusted just for them to talk bad about us behind our backs? Truth is, that same faith that brought us to Christ keeps us with Christ. The Lord is great in sustaining us even as we suffer in our mission. And if we have to suffer, wouldn't it be great? Isn't it great to be able to suffer in mission? Would you rather suffer for your own, your own mission? Or would you rather suffer seeing people one to God and seeing yourself transformed into the image of Christ. There's, I don't know if there's any perfect picture of a reconciled reconciler, but as I was thinking through this, I thought about a few people. There's a, a doctor named Beverly McMillan 
And Beverly, um, she is an activist, a Christian activist. She fights uh, for the pro-life agenda. She also spreads the gospel, shares the gospel with so many people in her place in Alabama. But it's only after she spent half of her life as a physician and an abortionist fighting for abortion. God, in this process of her living, reconciled her to himself, transformed her, and then equipped her for a ministry of reconciliation. Man, or John Newton, this, this hymn writer, right? He writes these amazing hymns. He spent the last few years of his life with William Wilberforce fighting against, or fighting against the slave trade. He was an abolitionist but only after spending nine years of his life as a slave trader. The the Lord would grab his heart in the middle of him doing that wrong, change him over time, and then empower him to be able to be a reconciled reconciler, calling him to that mission. There's a young man named Trayvon Williams, and he spends a lot of his time in the streets of L.A., South Central L.A., and he teaches the gospel. He, he tries to make disciples. He gives his testimony. Why? Because he was a former gang member of the gang that his dad started, the Crips. It was only after he spent a significant time in the streets teaching people how to be a, a disciple, a, a gangster's disciple for a, 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 bad, a bad reference for that, that he can teach now people to be disciples of Christ. He was a reconciled reconciler. Now, all of these examples may seem extreme. Like, I've never been a gangster. I've never been a doctor. I've never traded slaves. But each and every one of us, if we know, love, and been called by Christ, has a mission field. And God called us there when he called us to himself. That we could spend the rest of our lives being reconciled reconcilers, sharing the things that God has allowed us to go through, the testimonies that we have, the gospel that changed us, the God and Christ that changed us, and use that thing for the ministry of reconciliation. Whether it be in your home, teaching a mother the things that you did, and then God changed you, and now you're doing different things, whether it's a young man who found trouble when he was young, like me, college student, wow. And then God, it, God changes me, changes you. With that change, God has given you an opportunity to become a reconciled reconciler, a minister of reconciliation. That faith, that faith calls us to reconciliation. It gives us the work of mission, but it also in, it keeps us in our suffering and mission. If we truly believe that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he would do, then as we are sent out into the world, whether it be as missionaries, or as business people, or in church planting, international missions, government, entertainment, we can do so with assurance in our heart. The God who calls also keeps. And that we can join in this ministry together. Amen. Let's pray.